Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Hey, how do you like that new road? Isn't that great? That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> a new road doesn't often get applause, but this one does. <laughs> That's really nice. Now, I want you to be very, very careful. It's so smooth and nice. It is incredibly easy to speed on it. Very, very easy. Be careful. We have people that have radar in their car. In fact, I had uh, Scott told me one day, this was quite a while ago actually, he said to me, he says, you know, <clears throat> I had my radar on coming to church this morning and you really ought to tell some of the people there to slow down. And so uh, you have been warned. So be, be careful about that. It's so good to see you this morning. What a beautiful day and we're looking forward to all that it contains for us and we just believe that God is going to do some special stuff today some good things in our hearts and our lives. Next Sunday is uh, the 1st of July. I can't hardly believe it. Uh, this, uh, this year is just rolling like crazy. And uh, we want you to be a part of that service. Uh, it's going to have a little bit of a patriotic edge and theme to it and, and everything else. I want to greet our guests today. And if you are a guest with us today, and uh, please take a moment to take that card that's right in front of you. It's a connection card. And it's our way to be able to connect with you in some way. And we're going to send you a note this week and take it to the back counter or to, or to the info desk. And uh, we've got some stuff for you as a gift. So I want to read from the Word of God. And so in, in that, would you just stand with me as I read from the Bible? Passage in the, uh, the last thing that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount and it ends in chapter 7. And these are the last words that he says in that tremendous sermon, beginning in chapter 7, verse 24. It's in Matthew. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Also the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, exactly the same thing that happened to the other house, and it fell, and great was the fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, he said to the people were astonished at, he, at his teaching because he taught them as one who had great authority. The word of God has great authority for us. And I just encourage you to take the word, allow it to penetrate into your life, to seep into every aspect of your life, and then to guard and guide your life. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful Lord's Day, and, and we thank you for the opportunity to come into this place, into this building, and worship you, and, and to enjoy your presence, and also and to enjoy the company of, of the saints. Father, we thank you today. We're glad to be here. And Father, we just look forward. There is an anticipation that is already a part of this service. We anticipate the opportunity of worship. We anticipate the opportunity to hear from the word. We anticipate 
also what you are going to accomplish in our lives. This is not just normal church. It is you interacting and interceding and touching the hearts and lives of every person in this building. And so we thank you for this. Father, I pray may the blessing of God flow like a, like a flooded river across our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to turn in your New Testaments to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. I think there's a kind of a theme that seems to be emerging here today in our church service. And, and also, that first uh, uh, showed itself in our Sunday school class, uh, or VBS Sunday school, I should probably phrase it that way. Um, dealing, with the, uh, dealing with our relationship with God and what God has for us that's coming up into our lives. And I just, uh, I appreciate that so much. I just, I'm, I'm eager to share this word with you because I think it's an important word. The gospel is incredibly positive in its message. Amazingly positive. And our salvation does so much more than just keep us out of hell. And uh, I, 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 want to, I want to just, I want to focus on that a little bit this morning. I want to concentrate on, on that. Uh, but our, the gospel brings us into a, an amazing spiritual life that's filled with goodness, filled with a vibrancy of God. If there's one thing that I'm convinced that people need to hear over and over is something very, it's just amazingly simple, but the fact that God loves them. I, I, I have run onto people that uh, obviously, and I don't know why they feel this way, I don't even know why they think this way, but somehow they feel like, you know, you people who are just preaching about the love of God all the time, you're just missing it. You need to preach about hell and damnation and fire and brimstone and everything else. Well, I'm not very convinced that that's even close to being balanced into what God is saying for us today. Uh, God is telling us that he, he has an, an incredible desire to welcome us into his arms, into, into faith, into a walk with him. This New Testament, if it says anything, it tells us that God desires to walk closely, intimately, and wonderfully with every person, every person in this room. And I, I need to tell you this, God is not mad at you. Did you know that? God is not mad at people. He's not angry at people. He's not frustrated with people. I think that God may not like everything that we do sometime, but he's not going to stop loving you. He's not going to give up. He's not going to throw in the towel and say, okay, I, you know what? I've just had it with those people. I've had it with this, this person and this person or whatever it is. And we see, we see some interesting evidences of that, uh, especially in the Old Testament. You know, there was, a, there was a moment in which God basically did say that. He said, you know, I'm so tired of this grumbling and complaining that comes out of Israel. I'm just going to give up on them. And Moses said, look, if you're going to do that, I'm not going to go with you anymore. He said, I'm just going to park it right here. And God says, well, okay then. 
then I won't do that. He, he essentially changed his mind, if you will, if you can kind of capture that, that basic idea right there. And the fact that God has, a, I think, an impenetrable desire to love people, to love people. I think sometimes we think that uh, Christianity is uh, uh, basically some kind of a set of rules and regulations, very strict obligations and things like that, uh, rather than we think of a deep relationship with God. I think, I think sometimes it comes, comes out, it bleeds out in maybe through messages like what I would speak or something like that, but that's not the case. Uh, I'm fully aware that God does establish guidelines. I understand that. Uh, anybody who reads the Bible understands that there are some guidelines in here that God wants us to do, but I look at those not necessarily <clears throat> as strict obligations and rules and regulations. I look at them as this way. These are the, these are the guardrails. Are you listening? These are the guardrails that God puts up into our lives. In other, words, in other words, God's saying, I invented you, I created you, and I know what can help you, I know what can satisfy you, I know what can make you healthy and whole, but I also know what can hurt you. And it's not just, not just a pain in, in my elbow or my hand, but talking about hurt in the spiritual sense that can destroy you in your soul. And God says, I am going to put up these guardrails so that you, I want you to live within these guardrails and I don't want you to go over that guardrail. I've driven in the mountains many times. And I've driven on roads where I'm so thankful that there is a guardrail there because when you look on the other side, it's straight down. I'm glad there's a guardrail there. I'm not going to tempt that guard. I'm not going to try to take my car and bump into it and say, I wonder if it has any give to it. And, and, I, and I think we do that sometimes spiritually, don't we? We see this guardrail. I wonder if it's got any give in it. And I, you want to stay away from those things. And that guardrail isn't there uh, to hurt me. It's there to protect me from rolling over into who knows where that might wind up. I think there are sometimes people who, who don't pray because they don't have a right image of God. They don't have... They don't feel like God loves them or anything like that. And, and so why would God be interested in listening to me? I think, I, I, listen, I want you to hear what the Bible says about that particular remark right there. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, We have a high priest, we have a perfect Savior who understands our weakness. He has been tempted just like we. He has never sinned. And here it comes. And we can come confidently and fearlessly before the throne of grace. We can have confidence. We can do that fearlessly. We don't have to think, if I show up here, God is going to slam me into the wall. If I show up here, I'm in deep trouble before he's even going to listen to me. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what it talks about. He says, I can have confidence in coming to God. I can do so fearlessly and the Bible says, God will listen to me. God will listen to me. And then hopefully God will help us to listen to him as to what he might be saying. I really think we need to be praying something like this. I love you, Lord. And I thank you for everything that you've done in my life. 
and I desire to do what is right, and I want you to keep teaching me. Not just what is right, but I want to be taught how to live. I want to be taught how to walk on a daily basis. I want you to be my teacher. I want you to fill me with your insight and your knowledge and your word. Real Christianity, dear ones, is about a vibrant life that is lived for God and that goes hand in hand with us developing a deep and abiding relationship. You know, I've been a Christian for 45 years, and I'm going to tell you what, I do not regret, not for one moment, not for one second, my previous life. Not interested. It was nothing. That life was going nowhere. Everything that God has done in my life, and I'm not saying I have had a bed of roses and it's just been Easter lilies all the way through and all of that thing, but I'm going to tell you, I would not trade one second of my Christian walk with Jesus Christ for anything anybody else has. It's a great life. It's filled with adventure. It's filled with vibrancy. It's filled with hope. It's filled with opportunity. And he is new every day. And that is wonderful. Let me read my text here. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. And I underline that word reconcile in there. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And once you were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now he has, here's that word again, reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which, I, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which Paul says, I was a minister. There are two words that uh, come up very prominent in this passage, in this particular uh, <clears throat> aspect of the Bible. And those two words are forgive and reconcile. I want to talk about them just for a moment here. The word forgive has mostly to do with an act of God. Hear me, it is an act of God, God doing something in removing the offense of sin that is in my life and in your life. He removes it. It is him doing the work, an act of God. Forgiveness is always associated with the sacrifice of Christ and what was accomplished at Calvary. It's always a story. It is forgiveness. It's something that God initiated, God did, and I'm the recipient of what God did. Reconcile is very similar. They, I would call them almost like cousins in these two words. Reconcile, we have a, what we have here, we have a new relationship with God. The Bible says, and I'll stress this again in this message, Look, we used to be enemies with God. That has all been taken away. Now we have a new relationship, a new walk with God. So my, in forgiveness, God initiates the forgiveness of my sin. He initiates that work. 
and in reconciliation, I have a new walk, new relationship with God himself. And it's all new. And it's, <clears throat> and it's all wonderful. I'm going to take about five minutes here and give you five terms that, uh, that we're going to... I just want to talk about this. This is more like a Bible study, I guess, than a message this morning. But I'm going to take five minutes to share these five terms that you've heard me mention before and that we talk about from time to time. The first term is justification. Justification. This isn't as hard as you might think. The sinner stands before God, is accused of sin, is guilty of sin, and God declares you righteous. That's justification. That's really a very simple definition I am accused of sin, I am guilty of sin, and God says, I'm declaring you righteous. The good news is that God does not see us the way we see ourselves. And you and I are only able to see the flesh. We look at their, our imperfections. Other people around us may see imperfections in our character or in our, in our walk with God, all kinds of other things like this. But God says, I see you as a new creature in Jesus Christ. That's how he sees us. And I think if we can begin to capture that into our mind and into our heart, this is how God sees me. Not as some kind of a broken down character that doesn't understand anything, but as a new, redeemed, restored person with a great relationship with God, I think it's going to change how we begin to approach the things of God in our, <clears throat> in our own life. He sees us as new creations. The second word is redemption. Redemption, once again, here I am, a sinner, standing before God. And, I, and redemption means I am a slave. Slave to what? Slave to sin. I am a slave, and God says, I'm setting you free. I'm giving you freedom. This would have especially a powerful meaning in Paul's day, because slavery was a part of that culture. Slavery was a big thing in that particular culture. And to be set free meant that you were a free person, totally free. You were not obligated to any other person. And God says, in my redemption, I set you free from the slavery of sin. Number three, forgiveness. <clears throat> Again, the sinner stands before God as a debtor and declares that there, I have such a huge debt. That debt, by the way, is a debt of sin. And I'm loaded down with it. I'm in, I'm in over my head in sin. And God says, I declare the debt paid in full. That debt is gone. That debt is forgiven. I'm sure there are people in this church right now that owe some money to somebody and and everything, and we would just, uh, I mean, there would be a huge, loud shout of praise and victory if, if uh, the announcement came over the screen and says, everybody's debt that was here at Faith Community Church on <clears throat> June 24th, your debts are forgiven. Yippee. That would be good news. That would be big news. Well, that is exactly what forgiveness is. The resurrection also means we're going to have a resurrection to a life of righteousness. Number four, reconciliation. Here again, as a sinner, I stand before God as an enemy. 
and I'm led to peace as a friend. Romans chapter 5 really, really, really uh, nails this one. Chapter 5 verse 10 says, while we were, <clears throat> while we were enemies against God. Think of that. Think of that. Think, think of the foolishness of that whole thing. The creator of everything. And we said, I'm your enemy. Wow, this is, it's just ridiculous. But the Bible says, while we were at enmity, in one, one version, says, while we were at enmity with God or an enemy of God, Christ died for us. He died for us. And because of that, we are no longer enemies. President Abraham Lincoln <clears throat> was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners after the Civil War had, uh, had ended and the South had been defeated, the Confederacy uh, was no more. And the questioner was expecting some kind of an answer that uh, probably would be very harsh and, and vindictive and all of these things. And Lincoln responded in this way. He said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. I think that's a pretty good definition for what we call reconciliation. God says, I'm going to treat you as if you had never been away. Adoption. Adoption is the last one. I love this one as much as any of them. Again, we stand before God as a sinner. We stand before him as an enemy. We stand before him as a debtor. We stand before him as accused and as a stranger. And the Bible says, because I have adopted you, I am now calling you my son, my daughter. You are mine. You are a part of my family. Whatever was in your past is the past. You have a new name. The Bible says that new name is written down in glory, and you're mine. Adoption. And that sums up salvation. And I just gave you a complete college course in five minutes. The course, if you take it at college, is called Soteriology, or the Study of Salvation. You got it in five minutes. But if you go to college, it's going to take you about 40, 50 hours. God's ultimate plan for this universe is to reconcile all things to himself. He says so in verse 20. He says, by him I want to reconcile all things to himself by him. When God completed his creative work in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, he stood back and said, this is very good. And it was. It was wonderful. This was, this was heaven on earth, if you will. And then mankind, humanity, made the terrible, horrible, eternal mistake of sinning and disobeying God. And that disobedience was fatal, was tragic, and it infected the entire human race and, in fact, the entire creation of God. Hear me very well on this. We live in a sin-cursed, on a sin-cursed earth and a cursed universe, and both are under the influence of Satan, who is called the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. They are under his influence. 
the influence of Satan is going to reach a terrifying climax in the events of the tribulation. You can read about that in Revelation. The tribulation, when Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, the effects of this curse are going to be reversed and there's going to be a restored creation. We have no concept of that because all we have ever known is a cursed world. All we have ever known are people living under that curse. We have never known <clears throat> the restored world, the restored of humanity and all of these things. I believe this is one of the big reasons I love this, love this song, the gospel song. Actually, we sang it last Sunday. The third verse of I love to tell the story for those who know it best. That's, that's you and I. That's us in the room here. We know it the best. Seems hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory, that's where we're heading, folks, I sing a new, new song will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Take another look at verse 20 here. And I want to just, uh, I just want to point out something here. There's a phrase in here, just two words. He says, the Bible says, I'm going to reconcile all things. Now, I want you to be careful about this thing because there's some people that read into this far, far more than what, <coughs> what is ever deserved or what, is, what should be in that, in that particular uh, phrase right there. I want to make sure, be crystal clear, Paul is not saying, Paul is not suggesting that all things means eventually that everything is going to be saved. That's what we call universalism. And there's plenty of that around today, by the way, where people will say, well, look, you know, I, you know, I, I, I really, you know, God is a God of love, and eventually he's going to let everybody in the door. That is not what is being said there. That is, a, that is really a gross misinterpretation of the word of God. That's not what it says. We need Christ. That has not changed. People who suggest this are overlooking, a, I think, a major fundamental rule of biblical interpretation, which simply states no passage of Scripture will contradict another passage of Scripture. And this would contradict dozens and scores of them. Turn, put your finger in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and turn with me to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> beginning in verse 19, it says right here, he's talking about the earnest expectation from suffering to glory. We're going to talk about that just for a moment here. I want to just bring out a couple things. Did you know this universe, this entire universe, did you know this, that is waiting for redemption? Did you know that? This universe was affected by sin. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit, that forbidden fruit from the tree in the center of the Garden of Eden, that, that crunch of that, if you will, apple or whatever it was, that affected humanity, it infected this earth, it infected the entire creation. This, is, this was sin that rippled all through the creation, all through the universe. 
everywhere. And this is why humanity fell and messed everything up. It was Satan that fell and messed everything up and this world became cursed and we're waiting. And verse 21, listen to this. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In other words, God is saying, look, this universe is going to be changed. This earth is going to be changed here. The, and if you talk, and you know, I have kind of a love for science, especially as, uh, with space exploration and everything. If you talk to a decent physicist, and they'll tell you, they will tell you this entire universe is basically what they call, it's running down. It's running out of energy. You know, don't worry about this. This isn't going to happen in my lifetime or yours either, but it's basically running out of gas. And uh, this is applied to the stars and the planets and everything. And then in verse 22 it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together, until now, they are waiting for the reconciliation. They are waiting to be restored by God himself. And this is important because in Paul's day, there were a lot of false teachers running around and said, you know, the spirit is real good, but the flesh is real bad. Everything that is, everything that is material, it's bad. But it, the spirit, that's really good. And Paul says, nonsense. That's, that's uh, forget it. Jesus is going to reconcile everything everything, and that includes the entire universe. Sin ruined this universe. Sin ruined humanity. Sin ruined harmony between one another and between all the creatures, between God. But because of Jesus, it's all going to be brought back into a right relationship with God. And that's the good news. You can read about some of this in the book of the Revelation. The plagues that come during the tribulation, the judgments that come upon humanity and upon the natural things of the earth and throughout this universe and everything like this. Some of this is very demonic and some of it is natural phenomena that is absolutely out of control. The universe falling apart, stars falling out of the sky, planets spinning out of control, out of existence. Fresh water turns to bitter. Grass burns up. The sun goes black. And then Christ comes back with ten thousands, ten thousands of the saints. I'm going to be one of them. Amen. Well, I got three amens and a hallelujah. Okay. I'm going to work on this side a little bit. <laughs> We're coming back, folks. But we're not going to come back to a planet that's a mess, that's been destroyed by the enemy. We're coming back to a reconciled, restored, redeemed, if you will, Garden of Eden on earth again. And Jesus says... You are going to rule and to reign in the righteousness of God for a thousand years. God basically is going to be saying in that millennial reign, he's going to say, this is what it could have been. But this is how I have restored it 
you have a part in it. And we rule with Christ. And I'm looking forward to that. Hallelujah. God's going to give victory in this thing. The devil does not have the last word. Put that in your pocket this morning. He does not have the last word. The ultimate goal of God is to present you and I who know Jesus Christ as the elect that is holy and pure. That's his ultimate goal. Jude, the little, the 65th book of the Bible, only has one chapter. Jude says that one day we will stand in the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy. Blameless. Blameless and with great joy. I want to give you four more words. Those words are found in my text, and I just want to touch on them really quick. Holy. It means to be separated from sin and set apart to God. That's as simple of definition as you'll ever find. Blameless. It means to be without any blemish at all. The sin that marks our life, that marks every one of our lives, that sin has been taken away from us, totally taken away from us, and we stand blameless before God. The third word is beyond reproach. And I love this one too. It means nobody can charge anything to us. Nobody can run up to you and say, I know you and you did this or whatever it is. Blameless. We are blameless. And the fourth word is before him. God sees us right now. Listen to me, dear saints. God sees us right now right now in this moment setting in this church right now as we will be when we're with him forever and ever. He sees us right now. We see one another with all of the scars and markings and the sin and all of the other things that are a part of our lives, every one of our lives. But God sees us in a total different light. That's how he's looking at you and I right now. When you look at yourself, what do you see? Do you see somebody who is imperfect, lacking in many areas, or somebody that is whole and complete in Jesus Christ? Now, when I say whole and complete, that doesn't mean I go out and beat my chest and say, hey, I, look at me. Aren't I something? That's not what it's meaning right here. Don't... don't if you do that, you just went one step a little too far. Back it off, and you'll be, in, you'll be in safe territory. Janet, would you come back to the instrument, please? In verse 23, I want to close with this. If indeed you continue in the faith, <clears throat> grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, and which was preached to every creature under heaven, I, Paul, was a minister of that. Dear ones, let me tell you. 
I think one of the great marks, if not the greatest mark, of genuine Christianity is none other than what is mentioned right here. Those who are reconciled to God are those who continue in their faith. We sometimes call that perseverance. It means sticking it out. It means Jesus day after day, even after hearing difficult things, challenging and all of these things. You know, there was a time in John chapter six, this came up. Jesus had been teaching a, a number of disciples, not just the 12, but a, a bunch of other people too. His teaching was challenging. And then this is what began to happen. Some of those disciples began to walk away. They just walked away. They withdrew and they walked with him no more. Perseverance is truly a hallmark of the genuineness of our walk of faith in Christ, truly. Jesus said, or not, not Jesus, but Paul said, he said in the last days, some will walk away. I'm gonna tell you from my perspective as a pastor, that is incredibly heartbreaking. I don't know anything, I honestly don't know anything that could, that could be more tragic than to know people who they have declared we are walking with God and then walk away from God. I just, it's a heartbreaking thing. But the Bible says in the last days we'll see it. We'll see some of this. This seems to go hand in hand what he says in John 6. Paul says it, Paul says it a couple times. God is sending us as ambassadors, saints. Ambassadors into a broken and hurting and lost and fallen world and we have incredibly great news to share with people. News that can transform their lives. People everywhere are looking for hope because they're lost and they're cut off from God. And they're beginning to realize that, I believe. And so they are looking for hope. They are looking for the opportunities to see life transforming change in their personal life. And it's an opportunity. We have a great opportunity for us right now in this church, in LifeGate, an opportunity to see people's lives transformed by the power of God. Would you stand, please? God provides reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And our mission is very, very simple. It's just incredibly simple. It's to speak to them before it's too late. That's our job. That's our job. It's just simply our job. And that can be accomplished in so many different ways, lots of different ways. I want to ask um, two or four members of our prayer team if a couple of you could kind of join over there by that, uh, by that piano and a couple over by this black piano. Uh, just uh, And at the close of this service, as I begin to pray, I want to invite people who want prayer. 
or eager for somebody to just pray with you this morning. And that could be for any particular need that you might have, whatever's going on, that you would appreciate somebody just to sort of link up with you in faith and just believe God for whatever it is in your life that's your need. I'm going to pray. You're welcome to join us up here right now. Our Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the eternal word of God. We thank you that this gospel is a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of reconciliation. It's a gospel of forgiveness. It's a gospel that brings us into new life in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you today. We thank you for the opportunities that we have as, as people who love God. Father, I pray that this message has, has in many ways helped to build and strengthen our faith, helped us to understand who we are when we, in our position of Jesus Christ before God. Father, <clears throat> Father, I pray for people with needs today, needs that perhaps are larger than we can imagine. But Lord, we put our faith and our confidence and our trust in you and in you alone. We believe that you can intercede and do good things into our lives. Father, I pray that you'll help people, that you'll help individuals to really understand how much you love them. Help them to understand that you're not mad at them. You're not angry, that you don't want to just bring judgment down upon their lives. But you want to encourage them. You want to strengthen them. You want to transform them in such a way that you'll guide them into a new life. So, Father, I pray today that you'll help us. Help us, Father. I pray that you'll help somebody. Maybe people here today that for the first time in their life, they realize, I need Jesus in my life. I want Christ to be the Savior and Lord of my life. And I want to pray right now. I want to, I want to see that happen in my life. Father, I pray that if that's somebody here in this room today, I pray that they will simply join me right now. Join me in praying. Dear Father, thank you for Jesus. I'm admitting that I am a sinner and I need Christ as my Savior and Lord. I'm standing on the Word of God today and asking Jesus to come into my heart and into my life to bring forgiveness, to bring wholeness. I believe Jesus died for me and that he rose from the dead and today I ask him to be the Savior and Lord of my life. Live in my heart. Be my Savior and begin that precious work of transformation. I thank you always in the name of Jesus. Amen.